Good news, the Gospel is what we as followers of Christ come together to celebrate today, that God is with us. I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scriptural text or refer to the screen in a few moments as we read from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, Luke 2. And as you turn there and your eye uh, casts upon the words of Scripture, you will recognize immediately this widely known chapter in the Bible because it tells the story of Christmas. And this chapter, of course, has been the source of songs and carols and cards and celebrations and gifts and books and dramas and church pageants since it originally occurred 2,000 years ago. It's a very familiar story. In fact, the greatest challenge for those who declare the Word of God this time of year is to find some new insight to grab our attention because there's that tendency, I think, for especially for those of us who have been following the Lord for any length of time to hear these familiar words and and to possess some kind of a ho-hum attitude about it because it is so familiar. I've been... um, preaching the Christmas story here for 18 years now. And I sit in my study asking the Lord for a piece of wisdom to be able to bring some new insight to you today. Uh, I just have a simple gospel to tell. And it is good news that God is with us. Dr. Luke, when he set out to write his chronicle of the events of the Lord Jesus, uh, was intent upon putting together a very simple, orderly way of communicating to his audience the events, not only in the birth of Christ, but in the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke, I think, has one of the most complete uh, passages, portions on the Christmas event. And it's simple and straightforward. It is unembellished. And it is powerful in its record. And so what I want you to do this morning, if you can, is to discipline your mind and your heart and hear this Word of God to us today as though it was the very first time that you'd ever heard it. Even though you may have heard this hundreds of times over, come at it with a fresh pair of eyes and an open heart and hear this glorious, simple gospel. Dr. Luke writes, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, (coughs) who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, (coughs) pardon me, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, 
keeping watch over their flock. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Excuse me a moment. Go back to verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. These are very familiar words. We've heard them repeatedly if you've been following Christ any length of time. They're straightforward, unembellished, simple story of Scripture narrative offered in in a delicate and reserved way, but there's unmistakable meaning to this good news. But it seems that we're so familiar with the story that we approach it with some apathy and carelessness. It is amazing to me that in our world today, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, that peoples around the world are singing the carols of Christmas, that that in their words themselves, if you analyze the words of the carols, announce the gospel of Christ. And yet there are so many that just are blind to the realities of this great good news. If you know about Christmas at all, You already know about Mary and the announcement of the angel Gabriel to her that she is to give birth to a son. You know about the dangerous journey to Bethlehem. You know about Caesar's decree for a census. You know about Herod's insane jealousy and sending his emissaries, the three wise counselors, to find out about this king. You know about the inn with the no vacancy sign Uh, hung there. You know about the angel, the shepherd, the mysterious wise men from the east, the last minute flight into Egypt. All of these stories are so well known that when we hear them, we really don't hear them because we've heard them all before. We hear, but we don't hear. And so I want to say the words of Jesus, let him who has ears hear. We need to hear. I need to hear. You need to hear. Because familiarity can breed, if not contempt, familiarity can at least breed a casual disinterest. Which is sad because I think the Christmas story is full of great mystery and surprise. Christmas is full of surprises. There are unexpected miracles that that happen on every hand in this story if we just look for it close enough. So, So what I want to do for a few moments this morning is to take out a microscope and I want to put one verse of Scripture under 
the lens and look at it very closely and see what is the truth here? What is the, the nugget of gold that we can mine out of this to hear this fresh gospel once again? The verse I have in mind comes from the first Christmas sermon ever preached, announced by the angels to the shepherds on those Judean hillsides. After announcing that a Savior had been born in Bethlehem, the angel tells the shepherds how to find that baby. And verse 12, Luke says, this is what the angels told the shepherds. This will be a sign to you, Luke verse 12 says. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now, I want you to suppose just for a moment that you know nothing else about Christmas except this one verse. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. What would that one verse tell us about the Christmas Gospel? First of all, it would tell us and remind us about Christ's humanity. You will find a baby the angel said to the shepherds. A baby. That's all the Greek, the original language says. In the Greek, the word baby is baby. Infant. Newborn. Total ordinary. It describes the birth of a child. There's nothing fancy about this. It's common. It's ordinary. It's just a normal little baby. This is just a baby like any other babies. Physically, Jesus the baby looked like other children in his culture. Physically, he was treated like any other child. When he was birthed, I'm sure his mother Mary caressed him and kissed him and wrapped him tightly and warmly and, and just ooed and cooed over this little baby. It was just an ordinary baby. And the miracle of Christmas, we often speak of the virgin birth in our carols and in our creeds, but we should be reminded that the real miracle was not in the birth of the baby. The real miracle took place nine months earlier in the conception of Jesus. That's where the miracle began. Jesus' physical birth was absolutely, completely normal, or as normal as it could be given the circumstances. And to say that Christ was born as a baby brings us once again to the fresh truth that this was God incarnate there. The big theological word is incarnation. Carne, to put meat on. To say that in Jesus, Jesus put flesh on God. He was God incarnate. And although Jesus was fully and truly God from all eternity, the Son of God took on true humanity when He was conceived in Mary's womb and was born in Bethlehem. Friends, please understand that Jesus was not half God and half man. He was not a half-breed. But instead, He was fully God and He was fully man. He, who was infinitely rich, became poor and assumed our human nature. It is amazing. And yet, we kind of stand back and think, oh, isn't that nice? Sweet little picture. 
Jesus did not cease to be God. Although He laid aside the out, outward glory of His divinity in some mysterious way that I can't comprehend or explain to you, the Lord Jesus was the God-man joining together the nature of God and the nature of man in one person. And this is the central truth of Christianity. God has entered human history in order to provide for our salvation. And it seems to me that that in some ways we have sanitized the whole scene. Because we're uncomfortable with the messiness of this humanity. I mean, look at the, the modern conception of what took place in Bethlehem. Have we not softened the straw with a bottle of downy fabric softener? Have we not sprayed a, a beautiful perfume or fragrance to cover the smells of, of the stable and the animals? Have we not, in, in our effort to sanitize the scene, have we not stilled the, the, the anguish and the pain and the cries of Mary as she gave birth to the Son? Have we not tranquilized the fear and the trembling hand that Joseph must have had when he, remember, there was no obstetrician there. He was the one. Think of it. Try to get the fingers of your mind around this. Joseph was the one who cut the umbilical cord of the Son of God. It's hard to understand or comprehend. John was right. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the only begotten of the Father. He was the Son of God, but He was fully man. You will find a baby. An ordinary baby. I'm reminded uh, through the writings of Max Lucado in his lovely volume, uh, God came near about the humanity of Jesus when Max talks to Mary and he lists questions for Mary. The chapter is entitled 25 Questions for Mary. I won't give you all of them, but I like uh, some of them. And, and it reminds us again that this little boy, this little baby was human. Max asked Mary, Mary, what was it like watching Jesus pray? When Jesus saw a rainbow, did he ever say anything about a flood? Mary, did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? When Jesus saw a lamb being led to the slaughter in the temple, did he act differently? How did Jesus act at funerals? Did the thought, Mary, ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was sleeping under your own roof? Mary, did you ever try to count the stars with Him and succeed? Did you ever come home with a black, did He ever come home with a black eye? Mary, how did Jesus act when He got His first haircut? Did Jesus have any friends named Judas? How did Jesus do in the rabbinical school? Did you ever punish Him? Did He ever have to ask you a question about the interpretation of Scripture? 
Did Jesus ever get angry when someone was dishonest with Him? Did He ever wake up afraid? Who was His best friend? Did you ever think, Mary, when you looked at Jesus, did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? You will find a baby common, ordinary baby. And there have been battles that have fought. I mean, we, we accept that today. But what we fail to realize is that for the first three or four centuries of Christian history, this thing was debated and battled over in church councils after church council, trying to, to, to determine what is the nature of Christ. Who is He? And the battle then was, was he man? It's interesting to me today, though, that the battle is not over, was Jesus a man? But the battle today has flip-flopped. The battle today is, was he God? You see, there are many people today who are, are seated in, in houses of worship, even, who might even... <clears throat> speak one of the historic creeds of the church, but have this nagging doubt in the back of their mind and heart, they might acknowledge Him as a good teacher, a prophet, a good and holy man. But they might struggle to say that this Jesus was the incarnate Son of God. So friends, when we look at this This one verse, remember, we're looking through one lens this morning. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby. We're reminded that he was a human baby, but that he's also the Son of God. John MacArthur says it like this. Lots of people gladly embrace Jesus as a son of David, but not as the Son of God. They don't mind celebrating the birth of a baby but they don't want to hear about the Lord of Lords. They'll sing about His nativity, but they'll brazenly reject His authority. They adore Him as an infant, but they will not pay homage to Him as the God-man. And this verse, Luke 2.12, teaches us that the Lord from heaven entered this earth as a tiny, helpless baby. Secondly, this verse teaches us about his helplessness, that he was wrapped in cloths. This will be a sign to you. You shall find a baby wrapped in cloths. The old English says, in swaddling clothes. In that day, newborn babies were wrapped in strips of cloth to protect them from the harsh elements. Usually what mothers would do for their newborns would be to take strips of cloth and actually begin to wrap their hands and wrists and arms, uh, all reaching up all the way to their shoulders, and then start down at the tips of their toes and begin wrapping with strips of cloth, just wrapping one after another, all the way up their torso until the entire body was wrapped in strips of cloth. Many different layers of strips of cloth. So much so that the little baby was kind of like an Egyptian mummy. Why would they do that? 
Well, you need to remember that there was no sterile neonatal uh, unit available for the birth of Christ. And so mothers in this ancient world would use strips of cloth to protect their newborn baby because there was little medical care and routinely babies died before their first birthday. And so this wrapping with swaddling cloths was a way to provide a crude kind of protection. So what's the lesson in the baby with swaddling bands? To me, it reminds me of a time later in Jesus' life and ministry when Jesus stood before the Jewish authorities bound and guarded as though He were a common criminal. And when He was falsely accused, the Scripture says that Jesus made no reply. In fact, the Scripture says that as a lamb is silent before its shearers, so the Lord was silent before His accusers. So this Jesus, this little baby, I think there is no coincidence that He entered into the world bound with swaddling bands and He left this world bound and helpless. And when you look at Jesus this way, we are reminded of His helplessness. The Son of God. No one can say that He came only for the rich and the powerful. No one can say that He used and exercised divine prerogatives to to make an easy entrance and an easy exit out of this world. No, Jesus came not for the faith of a few, but to be the Savior of all. And Jesus was willing to be bound so that we might be set free. And Jesus says, And he who the Son sets free, finish it for me, is free indeed. This shall be a sign to you. You shall find a baby, his humanity, wrapped in cloths, his helplessness, lying in a manger. His humility. One problem that we have with this particular verse is that the word manger doesn't communicate very well in the 21st century. Most of us don't know much about farming or agrarian culture these days. Most of us get our concept of a manger from watching the annual Christmas pageant held at church. We've got this mistaken notion that it's this kind of shed type place Uh, kind of off in the wooden barn with its big joists and beams. However, in the first century, stables were often nothing more than a circle of stones around a hollowed-out cave in the side of a hill. A hollowed-out cave in the side of a hill. Is there a hint there of His upcoming death? I believe there is. For on a hill, Jesus was stretched on a Roman cross and gave His life for us. And this shall be a sign to you. You will find this baby lying in a manger in a feeding trough for the cows and the sheep. An unsanitary, messy, messy place. God was born into our mess. A 
stinky, smelly stable. He was born into that. In the words of Francis of Assisi, Francis says, For our sakes, he was born a stranger in an open stable. He lived without a place of his own wherein to lay his head, subsisting by the charity of good people, and he died naked on a cross in the close embrace of holy poverty. This baby, lying forgotten in an exposed stable, resting in a feeding trough, is God's appointed, God's ordained sign. This shall be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And friends, I can't get my mind around that. It is a mystery to me. If I were God, I would send my son in a far different way. But God chose the small things, the ordinary things, to introduce His gift of love to us. I cannot tell by looking at the things God does why God does the things He does. Romans 11.33 reminds us that that God's paths are beyond tracing out. There are things in my life, there are things in your lives, even some things that have happened this week that, that I can't even begin to comprehend. I don't have answers. I don't have words. And the older I get in my, my faith walk with God, the more I realize that everything is not black and white. There are some things that are a mystery. I pray and I pray and I pray, but, but there seems to be no answer. The injustice of some things, the injustice of war, the injustice of, 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 of the way we oppress one another in poverty, in slavery, I don't understand. I don't understand the, the, the mysteries of God. I have no explanation for some things. But to me, it is profoundly reassuring that behind Christmas stands a God of surprises who is in control. He does what He wants, when He wants to, and how He wants to, and He doesn't ask for our advice. He is sovereign. So let's go back to our original thesis. If Luke 2.12 was our only verse that described the Christmas event, what would we know? We would know the depths to which Christ stooped when He joined the human race. We would know the disinterest of the world that had no room for Him and still has none. We would know the foreshadowing of the cross even while he was sleeping in a manger. And if this were the only verse there were that would tell us about Christmas, we would understand that this good news is very simple. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. It's so simple. No wonder... The first century world, so much of it missed. 
him when he came. It's so simple. No wonder so much of our 21st century world misses him today. You see, it is only the eye of faith that can see the majesty of Christ. To borrow a phrase from the great reformer Martin Luther, he whom the worlds cannot enwrap, yonder lies in Mary's lap. To me, this is a strange way for the Savior of the world to come. Even the poorest child would not be found in a feeding bowl. But there he was. God's appointed sovereign sign from heaven. And when Jesus came into this world, He came in the most comfortless conditions, smelly, filthy. But the greatest wonder of this Christmas story is not the smelly conditions in which He came into this world, but the stench of our sin. He came to be our Savior and was God's love gift for us. I think it's fitting then that He was born in a smelly stable because what was smelled far worse to the nostril of God than the odors of animals in a barn is the odor of sinners like you and me. God sent the Savior all the way down into the lowly depths of our lives to rescue us to be our Savior. And this is the picture of God condescending to our level, into our mess. The writer John says, He was in the world. The world was made by Him. The world knew Him not. He came unto His own. His own received Him not. But He came for sinners. He came all the way down to you and me into the smelly stable of our wretchedness to save us from our sin. What a picture. This shall be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The traditional Polish Christmas carol, I think, sums this simple gospel up well. These are the words of that carol. Infant holy, infant lowly, for his bed a cattle stall, oxen lowing, little knowing, Christ the babe is Lord of all. Swift are winging, angels singing, Noel's ringing, tidings bringing, Christ the babe is Lord of all. Flocks were sleeping, shepherds keeping vigil till the morning knew, saw the glory, heard the story, tidings of a gospel true. Thus rejoicing, free from sorrow, praises voicing, greet the morrow, and here's the clincher. Christ the babe was born for you. Praise be to God for this glorious gospel. This is the good news of Christmas. Father, today, will you rehearse this gospel to our hearts and minds over and again 
We thank You for this wonderful portion of Your great Word. And we grieve that as the centuries have passed, that some have treated this good Gospel in certain times and in certain places with apathy and with carelessness. But we're also grateful today, Lord, that You loved us enough that You sent Your Son all the way down to the wretched smell of a stable and even farther, farther down to the wretched smell of sinners like me. That Christ has come to the humble, the base, the wicked, the vile, to take our place on the cross and bear the judgment of our sins. We cannot comprehend such love, but we receive it. What a wonderful scene it is. You control the great movements of history. You, O God, control the fulfillment of prophecy. You are sovereign over all. And even when we come, Lord, with our our complex questions that seem to have no answers, we can still affirm, Lord, that even though Your ways are higher than our ways, and there seems to be no way to trace Your hand, that because You are our Father, and because You are sovereign, we can trust Your heart. Thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus. We love Him today. We're committing our lives to serve Him and to spread this simple gospel to those who have not yet heard or who have rejected it, to tell them the good news of a Savior born in Bethlehem. Would you stand together?